this is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week are two awesome dudes. Nick White. Yo, yo, yo. I'm trying that out. And Paul Chasley. <laughs> Greetings, humanoids. <laughs> We're just trying this, new things. You know, this is this is going to be a super radical year. I'm really excited that both of you are here this week to talk about comic books, even though it is the Super Bowl, a.k.a. the WrestleMania of football. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So let me ask you the question that I ask every single week. How have you been and how have comic books been, Nick? Comics have been good. Like a lot of weeks for me, it turns into a weird hodgepodge of uh, convenience in terms of what I end up reading. If I'm really energetic, I'll go upstairs and dig out my comics for the week and get bags and get boards and get tape and sit down and make coffee and lock the doors. Um, I don't know why I'm locking the doors. And uh, <laughs> can't be interrupted when yeah, you're bagging and boarding. Can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. Um, and just read singles. But if I'm lazy, then it's time to pull up digital copies or go grab trades. So, like most weeks, it's a weird combination. The first thing I really read was Bloodshot Volume Four. This is from the 2012 reboot. It's kind of one of the lesser-known arcs. A lot of people remember the Dwayne uh, Swarinski stuff at the beginning, which was. Um, it wasn't as two-dimensional as Bloodshot of the 90s, but it was still very much, uh, I don't know who I am, but I'm, I'm pale as fuck and I'm going to kill people. <laughs> uh, and uh, sort of the um, existential crisis that Jeff Lemire's Bloodshot had, uh, which was weighty, but I don't mean that in a bad way. It was just very meditative. Um, so there was this run right towards the end of the um, pre-reborn era, and it had Christos Gage and Joshua Dysart uh, writing it. Uh, Gage, of course, is even these days sort of known for his work on TV's Daredevil, and Dysart was the guy who did Harbinger, and uh, Emanuela Lupacino, or possibly Lupacino on art. Um, it was kind of a fun run, follows Harbinger Wars, Bloodshot gets captured by Harada, who says, hey, uh, why don't we use those replicating nanites in your blood and try to actually find ways to save the world with it instead of just murdering people? And then Project Rising Spirit is like, hey, we kind of want our super, super white-as-hell murder bot back, so we're going to get him back. And they send the Hardcore to get him, which stands for Harbinger Active Resistance Division. Um, It's a bunch of... uh, hardcore dudes i guess i mean they're oh, yeah. women so it's not just dudes <laughs> come and on that is the most perfect name to say they are a bunch of hardcore <laughs> dudes this is a bunch of come hardcore on. dudes are you a hardcore enough dude to save the president um it's a video game thing don't worry about it um, <laughs> sure <laughs> and uh these people all have had like these crazy crazy experiments done to their brains and what it allows for is they can activate one superpower and of course it's doing all sorts of messed up shit to their brains but we're all putting cell phones to our heads on a regular basis so I think we can all relate and basically <laughs> it allows them to channel one superpower at a time but in order to channel a different one they have to turn the first one off and so it turns into all of this interesting goofy stuff um, that was fun I started reading The Shadow Year One this was one of Nick's uh, sort of project reads I'm trying to get ready for the Batman The Shadow crossover we're going to be getting soon with uh, Steve Orlando writing Riley Rossmo drawing um, Scott Snyder co-plotting, which sometimes I get a little bit skeptical and wonder if Scott Snyder co-plotting is him making sure that his name is on the co-plotting line, and that's maybe where it begins and ends, but um, I've gotten burned on a couple Tinian projects, so what can you say? And yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot about The Shadow. I'm learning a lot, because I didn't know much. So this was a 10-issue run, 
written by Matt Wagner, drawn by Wilfredo Torres. Ten issues ran somewhere between 2013 and 14, uh, and and I've learned a lot. Uh, Specifically, I've learned that um, if Batman is going to keep his oath of not letting people die while apprehending them, um, the Shadow is going to give him a real run for his money, honestly. Uh, Is is page one of this crossover just going to be Batman handcuffing the Shadow and be like, you're going away, (laughs) and that's the end? (laughs) No, it's going to be Batman showing up after the Shadow got there first and going, well, uh, shit. So, yeah, uh, I honestly think no one is going to ever come close to the Shadow's uh, record for deaths caused while wearing a scarf likely yanked off of a 1950s snowman. (laughs) Uh, Because that's honestly (laughs) what it looks like to me. Um and it's really he's f- just a 50 year 50s era punisher right because he's just oh, he's walking around that man yeah I'm pretty oh certain, really because he was a radio play first mm-hmm. oh my goodness wait so how do you do a radio play about killing a bunch of dudes i don't hey okay whatever 50s <laughs> 20s era we're doing it punisher? again mike i mean that's what like thrilling adventure hour is man you know history repeats itself oh yes uh, oh <laughs> this all makes sense let me see what else quick few other things about that uh it's really funny because his power set if you read any shadow stuff his power set is all over the board it's like oh i forgot (laughs) he can do this too um and really the best way to boil it down is that he more or less has jedi mind powers he can convince people he wasn't there (laughs) he can get people to do things they wouldn't normally do which a lot of these things are really what you can do if you have a gun so honestly (laughs) i guess it's not that impressive (laughs) um but uh i've sort of boiled down the shadow experience which is that uh, he hides somewhere he then laughs a lot at people which really there's no reason for him to laugh i guess he just finds hiding funny uh and then he soapboxes about how crime is evil and then he just kills everyone um so really it's a wasted speech Uh, he's gonna kill the people uh but he still just has to soapbox um go figure (laughs) a few other things I read Batman 14 and 15. I was so proud. I was like, guess what, guys? I've caught up on Batman. It's finally happened. And the Super Bowl's happening. So it must be like some weird coincidence. But no, really, Batman 16 came out. And once again, I fell behind. Whatever. (laughs) Um... A few things. Just want to say it again. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not very comfortable with this Batman who has feelings and uh, g- gets naked and reveals his innermost thoughts to people and 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 relies on people and and shares his secrets. I don't like this stuff. Hmm. It makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend that the best way to solve this is Batman needs to sit in a room with a crackling fireplace, the rest of the lights are off, maybe there's some classical music playing off of a gramophone, the record is old and it's creaky and it's squeaking, and he's looking at black and white pictures of mom and dad, which, let's remind him, it was his fault. Um, This is the best way to to fix this problem. Um, So is this the opening scene to the new Batman movie that's going to come out not directed by Ben Affleck? Oh, God. If they let Zack Snyder on, this will be the first scene, I guarantee it. Followed by, like, the Batmobile crashing halfway through the building, and then him finding that stupid branding thing and branding a bunch of people again. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. (laughs) I want to say, the ending line of 15, where Alfred's like, "What what did she steal, Master Bruce? And he's like, she stole the night, Alfred. She stole the night. And then he's putting on the cloak. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, Alfred's like, oh, man. Boop, 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 boop. He's like, go, go reset the brood counter. It happened again, you know. Or that as he's saying it, like, he's trying to put on the mask, and he just sort of hooks it on the wrong part of his face, and he's like, let me try that again. That really didn't have the intended effect. So, uh, one of the things. Predicting the Lego Batman movie, you mean. 
I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I don't want to get into that too much, but I just want to say I think this will be DC's best effort in a while. Um, I'm very excited. The fact that both Batman and Robin are played by Arrested Development actors just uh, warms my heart in in so many ways, and and I'll leave it at that. Obviously, I love Batman. I love the Adam West Batman. I love Silly Batman, and Legos are all right, but I have zero interest in the Lego Batman movie. So, oh man, yeah, okay, we we will have to sidebar that because I think that we could go into an, a full yeah, exactly. episode discussion we'll, we'll, about the, that. The movie, only question I, I will have on that matter is, uh, Paul, are you still going to at least see it to see what comes of it, or are you not? Where do you stand on that? No, that's going to be uh, when it pops up on Netflix in a year or so. Yeah, I don't. Or think if, go to if, the if Mike and I convince you, because we're very. Uh, persuasive (laughs) that was good that was just a laugh with no accompanying words that was probably the correct response exactly Mm -hmm. yeah i'll leave it at that yeah (laughs) last thing i want to mention really really quickly savage number three reddit third issue out of the four issues a valiant series about people being stranded on a weird island that also happens to be jurassic park so there's dinosaurs that want them dead but then there's also all sorts of people running around um that also want them dead so it's jurassic park meets mad max uh really really dark issue i think i finally understand where this could actually intersect with the rest of the valiant verse really really gorgeous lua la rosa art can't recommend it enough um if you weren't already planning to get this when it comes out in trade Definitely think about it, especially if you're someone who is either A, not that big into Valiant, or B, is worried that um, it's going to intersect too much with other remaining Valiant fare. So that's what I've been reading. Cool. What about you, Paul? Um, well, I read a lot this week. Um, I finally made it to the shop. I've noticed I've gone into a weird sort of rhythm where I go to the shop every other week. So the one week I won't read much, next week I'll read a ton. So this is the week I read a ton. Um, I read Doom Patrol number four, which finally came out. Doom Patrol number three came out way back in the beginning of November. So we finally got issue four. Uh, it's worth the wait, though. I'm really enjoying this series. I like what Gerard Way is doing with the Doom Patrol and doubling down on the idea that the Doom Patrol is a safe space for for outsiders, for people that don't fit in. And that's really what the Doom Patrol, sort of their role as a team and as a book is like, this is the team for outsiders and not like x-men outsiders where they're like everyone hates the x-men even though they're all conventionally beautiful and like have cool powers the doom <laughs> yeah, patrol they're them. all kind of yeah, yeah. yeah exactly doom patrol all kind of <laughs> fucked up they're like they, they're not good looking and they've got like deep emotional problems so i, I like the what he's doing with that and i gotta say nick Darrington's art is very very good on this book it's so lovely i've just i've never really seen his stuff before and i'm just always impressed uh what he's doing on this book uh, Batman Can number I just sixteen. Say, what is yeah. the deal with their schedule, Paul? Honestly, I I just think that Gerard Way, because he's handling all of the young animal books, he just yeah doesn't have enough time. And I think he's even gone on social media and said, "I know, apologize." Said, "Sorry, this book is being delayed. Things take time, and I appreciate your patience. And I'm willing to give him some time because I'm enjoying the book so much." So I was going to say, I think Mother Panic has been going on. It's like it's on issue two, but it's been like five months or something like that maybe i'm recalling it wrong but yeah it's it's fine it's just weird that's all there i would say of i mean all the young animal books i've read i'm i'm willing to wait i mean oddly enough the one book that's come out regularly is cave carson as a cybernetic eye which is like the weirdest (laughs) of the of them all (laughs) (laughs) uh, that title still gets me i love saying it it's like my favorite thing to to say um uh batman number 16 uh, by Tom King and David Finch. This is the first part of the I Am Bane story. And 
a large chunk of this book is basically Bruce Wayne uh, yelling at Dick Grayson, uh, Damian Wayne, and Jason Todd while they're sitting in a Batman-themed uh, fast food restaurant, <laughs> Bat Burgers, and I loved it. So I don't want to give too much away, but if you like seeing yes. some bad Batman puns mm-hmm. and fast food jokes... That's your book. And I have to mention, John Workman's letters on this book are so nice. It's so rare that you see lettering that actually stands out and grabs your attention. But John Workman, again, he's, he's been working comics for so long, and his style is so recognizable. I just always love seeing his stuff on this book. So kudos to John Workman for his lettering ability. Oh, yeah. Uh, Paper Girls number 11. I don't even know what's happening with this book. All I know is that I really enjoy the artwork. Um, I guess I'll leave it at that. Um, Is that kind of like a sad fact about this story, though? Because I feel the exact same way, where each month I get the book and I'm like, God, this is gorgeous. And then I finish the issue and I go, what the hell did I... What is going on with this book? Like, where... Like, what is the direction that this book is even taking? I... I, uh, That's weird. I think this is a book that the, the image policy of you know a couple issues on schedule and then take a few month break a couple issues in a break is actually kind of hurting the momentum of this book because yeah. when it takes the the couple month break and they pick the story back up i'm always lost so yeah i'm enjoying the story and i like the the characters in it and the characterization that uh brian k vaughn does and the artwork is lovely but that's kind of enough to support the book for me right now but i know i'm gonna have to go back and reread the whole thing at some point just to yeah. figure out what the fuck's going on. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, uh, She-Wolf number five by Rich Tommaso is is kind of the same deal, where I absolutely love Rich Tommaso's artwork. I think this is one of the most unique-looking books on the shelf right now. And at the same time, I have no idea what the story is. So <laughs> I'm enjoying right. the book. I, it's you know this weird like teenage werewolf story. There's all sorts of like black magic and satanic rituals. And even though the artwork is sort of like cartoony and exaggerated, it feels like very like punk rock and like dangerous in a way. You know that satanic panic of like the '80s and stuff, where it does feel sort of raw and gritty, even though it's mm-hmm. a very cartoony artwork style. It's enough to carry me through the book, even though I'm not sure what the point is. Um, but probably the biggest thing I read this week and the thing I was most excited for was of course the Commandy Challenge number one we talked about this a few episodes ago where it's a 12 issue series each creative team worked independently so they would finish the story then hand it off to the next team to pick it up from the cliffhanger and just go with it the first issue starts with a little prologue story by Dan Didio and Keith Giffen which is actually really good I think those two have done some interesting stuff uh, on the Kirby um with Kirby characters in the past, their OMAC book, for example, from a couple years ago. But then the main story, the main chapter of the book is by written by Dan Abnett with art by Dale Eaglesham. And Dale Eaglesham is so good. He's so good. I never read much of his stuff, but I always love it. And he, he captures Secret Six with Gail Simone recently. Yeah, yep, it was really yep. good. He captures like it's a super detailed take on Kirby, but you can see like all the little Kirby tricks in the backgrounds and the weird shapes and the designs of the machines and stuff. It's all there, but it's like super detailed at the same time. I loved it. Although I have to say that story was basically just a retelling of the first issue of Commandy. Like it really didn't feel Mm. unique. Interesting. So I enjoyed the book. I'm very excited about this project. Obviously as a Kirby fan, as a fan of Commandy, I love that they're doing this in tribute uh, for the hundredth anniversary of Jack Kirby's, you know, birth. Uh, but I'm very curious to see how it plays off. I think the next issue is going to be Peter Tomasi and Neil Adams, which 
oh boy, that might be a trip. So, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. But that's what I read this week. What about you, Mike? Oh, I I was all over the place. I read so many comics this last week. It's been it's been wild. But I did start on Monday reading volume one of the Auteur, which I think is like a standalone series. In my head, I thought this was like an ongoing, continuing thing, and I just took forever to get caught up on it. But I realized that Volume 1 by Rick Spears, James Callahan, and Luigi Anderson, uh, it was just a standalone five-issue series. It was way out there. I, I got about halfway through before I realized that it was that this book pretty much was an answer to Images Chew in the way that it was kind of pushing the boundaries of like art and crazy like thought processes and weird metaphor on the page and goofy stuff just happening left and right it was a little you know it was pushing the line of what was acceptable and kind of offensive which i at first kind of put me off but as i continued through the book i realized that they're just trying to do some really dark humor throughout and ultimately i really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to trying to read or trying to find a copy or buying a copy of uh sister bambi which is the second series is in the auteur storyline i guess uh, that was a lot of fun. I caught up on The Wicked and the Divine. I finally sat down and read the big magazine issue that was had like this dark cloud over it in my head for some reason and in that I was going to have to read a bunch of prose about these fucking comic book characters. Mm-hmm. And it actually was more enlightening than I thought it was going to be. And I think I put I just built the issue up in my head. Um, but ultimately, it it was kind of a cool introspection into all the characters, which I think was the point. And so kudos to Kieran Gillen for not only making fun of himself throughout the whole issue, but also doing a pretty stupendous job delivering independent voices for multiple interviewers throughout the the actual story. He was basically writing for multiple people, I believe. And so that was really cool. Uh, I read Invincible 132 and talked about it on the Comixology Facebook Live video, which is a whole thing. But uh, this book is fantastic. I, I can't... I, I don't know. There's, there's 132 issues, and I can't think of a like issue that didn't matter to the overall story. And to see it all building up into issue 132, and just the horrendous, awful feelings that Robert Kirkman wants us to feel throughout this <laughs> issue in specific was it's pretty fantastic that he can go 132 issues and still make me go, <gasps> "Is this really? Oh my gosh, is this happening?" That's <laughs> pretty impressive, if you ask me. And this isn't like Walking Dead, where you kind of go, "Oh, it's over. Everything's going to be fine." This book, when death happens and bad things happen, it's permanent. And I've always really enjoyed that about this series. And issue 132 is a perfect example of that. Uh, All new X-Men. Oh, actually, I'll wait for that one because I have some thoughts on that book. <laughs> How many uh, issues does Invincible have left at this point? I believe it's going to issue 144. So we're looking at 11 more issues. What a weird cutoff. Okay. okay. Yeah, that, that's a whole that's a whole other thing uh, that I have about that. But we we kind of talked touched on that a little bit, and I don't know. I, I talked to T about it at some point, so maybe it's not on this <laughs> show. I'm sorry, everyone. But I I also read a comicsology submit book called Four Eyes, which is not the Image comic. There's also an Image comic okay. out there called Four Eyes that was about a young boy in the 20s who found out that dragons were real, which is a really cool story. <laughs> this one was written drawn and did and the colors were all by a man named mitch greers uh i don't know what i read i i want to bring this up in this in this show if only because sometimes you know you take a risk on an interesting book that looks interesting the art was very unique um very rough pencils um but it felt very happy very cartoony and mm-hmm. by the end of the issue it was like sad 
and I was unsure about what the point was because it ended not even on like a cliffhanger or anything. It just kind of ended, and I was like, wait, are you sure that's the last page? And I'm really wondering, like, should this have been released as like a continued, like a full story, like a graphic novel or something, rather than as like a $1 serialized issue? Because the issue ends in such a way that it's like there should have been two or three more pages to actually round it off. Um, and I, I've always baffled about that. I Like, why the creator of a book like this would make that choice. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to, like, shit all over this book, because it was very interesting, <laughs> and it seemed like it had some potential, but the way that it yeah. ended just kind of made me, like, spit up a little bit. I was confused. I was imagine you just being that. so like giddy when you start these comics allergy submit books and like take a chance on me by like ABBA is playing and then by the time you're mm-hmm. done it's just like those brooding chords from like Law and Order when you realize the serial killer's <laughs> in the room and he's getting closer. I mean, you're not wrong. That's pretty close. <laughs> We're not allowed to use that phrase anymore, Mike. I'm not yeah. allowed to use that phrase anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you you can you can. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I'll i just leave it at that. The big thing that I did read was all new X-Men number one dot M-U, which is the mar- Monsters Unleashed <laughs> dot, dot M-U. It's not That's even what it decimals is. anymore. It's numbers followed by decimals followed by letters. God. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's not even like 1.5. It's I mean, Marvel's been doing this for a while. They did this for uh, uh, INF. They did for the Infinity Wars. They've done all sorts of dumb shticky stuff like this. I'm waiting for like all like new this. X-Men... Uh, number five thirds. You know, <laughs> I mean, we're getting close to that. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the point is because they. I think they wanted to de- like make sure that you knew that this wasn't all new X Men Monsters Unleashed. I wasn't. I, I don't know. This wasn't part of the regular story, so it was just an independent. X twenty three has to go to Louisiana to find a monster or find something, and Gambit's going to meet her there. And meanwhile, the rest of the all new X Men team is going to be hanging out at Mardi Gras, and they're going to have a good time but there was there was something interesting about this book in that the writing was so corny that i it felt like the 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 writer of this book just decided to take the caricatures of all of the characters that were in this series and then just just beat them to like absolute death so like every character is way over the top beast in the middle of the fight is like, ooh, indubitably, this monster has very tough skin, like in the middle of getting punched in the face, you know, and so things like this, and you know, they, they overplayed everything, but I, by the end of the issue, I really didn't hate it. I thought like that they were doing a really good job of trying to tell an uplifting story despite all of the sadness that Jeff Lemire has introduced into this series. Um, so I, I actually ended up really enjoying it. However, I do have a lot of thoughts to counter Tia's point last on, on the last episode saying that there that there should be some relationship between X23 and Gambit which is 100% wrong because the entire story is written like like brother sister it's it's like he's always looked out for me we've always had each other's backs like it's it's nothing like hmm. There's nothing flirtatious about it. It was very much like this is a person that I trust, and they are a good friend to me and they are a good companion in in like friendship and there's nothing more than that. But I just, I was, I was very frustrated. They're so brother sister, so brother sister. Even the last <laughs> few pages of them is so brother sister. It's there's no romance. It would be absolutely weird because ugh, I'm just, uh, I'm just so mad about that. So <laughs> because Tia's, they, Tia's they wrong just, is that? Is yeah. That I mean, 
and Tia has whatever. a right to her opinion. I just okay. very staunchly <laughs> disagree with her. Okay. But okay. ultimately, I don't know what this this Marvel. You thought monsters... they had each other's backs, and she thought they had each other's fronts. So I oh, mean, yeah. <laughs> Nick. Oh, no. oh, oh no. I. Sorry. I don't know what this Marvel's Monsters Unleashed thing is. I have no interest in it. The issue was fun in that the X-Men just got to fight a bad guy rather than an ideology, which is great. <laughs> but other than that, I don't I don't want to read any more of this. I hope that this is the one shot and that there's nothing more to it because if there is, I'm going to be really mad about it. <laughs> but that's that's what I read this week. Whew. I, oh, now my like my heart is racing. I just want to scream about this X Men X twenty three Gambit thing. But anyways, we will move on, and we will talk about our comic picks for this upcoming week because comic books come out on February eighth, two thousand seventeen. So Nick, what are you excited for this week? Uh, for me, it's uh the tie in to Divinity three, uh, called the Shadow Man, and it's written by an up and coming writer. Um, named Scott Wilson, who anyone who read the Batman annual from last year in December um, might recall he wrote the story about Haunter, who was who was this person locked up in uh, Arkham, who had the very strange and oddly very powerful ability that probably meant she shouldn't have belonged in the Batman universe, where as long as she had access to someone's DNA and made contact with it, she could make that person die instantly, regardless of where they were in proximity to her. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So, I mean, Paul, do you remember that story? Um, uh, vaguely. Maybe? Vaguely. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it was okay. It wasn't anywhere near the Riley Rossmo stag story, but it was it was still, it was okay. Um, so he's writing this, and it's got Robert Gill on art, and for me, I don't know a whole lot about Shadow Man. He's still kind of one of those characters that, no pun intended, is sort of in the dark. I'm sort of in the dark on um, but I'm still interested, and the big thing for me that I'm kind of furious about is that the two covers are Clayton Crane and Marco Rudy, and I'm just really mad that they're having to make me choose. Unfortunately, I learned a long while ago that you don't really have to choose if you just pull out your wallet and <laughs> sigh a couple times and just <laughs> let the inevitable happen. Um, so, uh, I will be buying both. Uh, so. <laughs> Well, I will be buying both. Well, I will be buying one. Mike will be buying the other. And then inevitably I will be buying that issue from Mike. Um, for those who are curious in what yeah. order those transactions will take place. You, yes, yes. You now know. Don't worry. Uh, what about you, Paul? Uh, are you going to be buying two copies of Divinity 3, The Shadow Man by uh, Scott Wilson? <laughs> chances are, are that I won't be doing that. Um, but you never know. Okay. Um, I will be buying <laughs> Detective Comics number 950. Um mainly and I'll be honest just to uh just to buy an issue number 950 I'm a fan of that DC went back to the original numbering on these big books numbers. and <laughs> there's something about those big numbers that are exciting to me I don't know um I've been reading detective comics on and off since DC Rebirth and I've I've enjoyed the issues I've picked up for it's one of those things that it's not on my regular pull list so I would pick the issues up sort of randomly when I would see them um so I have been reading it regularly, but I do enjoy the idea that it is the Batman family book. You have the Batman series, which is basically Batman solo, more or less. And this is where you have all the supporting characters like Batwoman, uh, Spoiler, Cassandra Cain, uh, Tim Drake, uh, up until, you know, whatever happened to him happened, um, mm -hmm. which I won't get into. But this is, uh, like I said, so this is the big number 950 issue. So it's going to be oversized. 
uh, James Tinney in the fourth writing it and with some various artists filling in all the stories. Looks like it's going to be the prologue to an upcoming story about the League of Shadows and the League of Assassins. Ooh. So, and uh, based on the, the recap I read for the issue, basically said that uh, Azrael, the Avenging Angel, uh, oh, no. joined the League of Assassins. So, no, 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 he didn't join the League of Assassins. He joined Batman's team to fight the League of Assassins. Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry, well, sorry. I mean, that's still, still bad. Yeah. There's an there's an angel involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to get Mike caught up on Azrael here uh, on at another, another time. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But like I said, something about issue 950, I'm, I love going to my comic shop and digging through the back issue bins and finding like the big anniversary issues that DC did back in the 80s and stuff when they would have like Superman number 400 is great. Uh, Detective Comics number 500 is awesome. These are great oversized issues. They have like, you know, one-off stories. I always kind of am a sucker for that stuff. So I'm hoping they do something for this, and then in what? In five years, when then they do Detective Comics number 1000. I'll be right back Ooh. to buy that one, too. So, yeah. That'll be exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. I guess, well, so Detective's 950, and I think Action Comics is 972 right now. Mm-hmm. So we'll get Action Comics number 1000 a little bit sooner. Yeah. Oh, man. That's There's, that's so wild. How many, I feel like we're going to have a Y2K situation on our hands where, like, computers that were made for storing comic information, they didn't plan to go to four numbers. Can't go exactly. to four numbers. There's yeah. just going to be it's a like, shutdown of, like, all comic systems across the world or something. As if this actually matters. It will affect 2% of the American population. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, for me this week, what I'm excited for is actually The Wicked and the Divine, number 26, seeing that I just read issue number 25 earlier this week, and with the giant cliffhanger of bad things are going to happen, and Persephone being so mad, so, so, so very, very mad, I'm kind of digging this book again. Like, I was on like a lull for a little bit. I was reading it just to kind of keep up with the Joneses or something, and I uh, feel like one of the cool kids be like, yeah, I'm reading that Kieran Gillen McKelvey joint. Yeah, how cool is that, guys? I don't know what's going on, but hey, this is a great book. And, Wait, uh, where are you going? I want to talk about X-Men. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, but you know how like her powers are just like rogues? Like, yeah, no. Uh, I... I I've been reading this book and it's been good. It hasn't been great for me. Unlike, you know, other people I know have been loving this book and I'm not just talking about Tia. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a very strong fan base behind this series and I've just been kind of reading along. But this partic- this arc in particular, the Imperial Phase 1, has been super strong. And I think this book has got a lot more rhythm to it. And with, the like I said, the cliffhanger at 25 kind of sets a lot of things in motion like maybe we're seeing the near end of this book i know that we've been kind of promised a quote-unquote two years not necessarily in real time but two years within the storylines time so i think we're beginning to see maybe the end like starting which is very interesting not to say it's going to end in like four issues but maybe in 12 or 16 and that's really really cool to see a book build itself up for a very epic conclusion um i i'm completely guessing about this but i think that's what we're seeing and so 26 very exciting to me it's gonna be super super powers 
<laughs> for the first time. Like this book, and what I think is really interesting about the Wicked and the Divine is that we we see these characters and they've got all these powers and they aren't shown very often. It's kind of like a CW TV show or like any primetime TV show where there's superpowers involved. You rarely see them, but when they do show up, it's really really cool. And now that the wheels are in motion, I think we're going to see more and more of these powers. And since it's comics, there's the only limiting factor is on the artist. So I'm really excited to see Jamie McKelvey hopefully punch things up to 11 and bring his super a game when it comes to superpowers because i think he's always done a really good job on that in in the superhero books that i've read that he's drawn so this is a it's gonna be a fun one interesting i remember i really enjoyed the first arc of this book and then the second one sort of lost me so i'm something i'm definitely gonna have to go back and reread once it's sort of collected i should definitely uh get caught up at some point yeah they they just released that monster like Wicked and Divine book one omnibus sized thing yeah. that I think contains like the first 20 or so issues. Oh, okay. And I know that's probably yeah. pretty pricey, but I mean, if you could find mm-hmm. it at a library or maybe find it on like a digital sale, I think it's definitely worth the buy. Yeah. Hmm. No interest in this book though, Nick? <laughs> um, <laughs> you are strangely silent. <laughs> I've, I've always learned that you can't get lost in the woods if you never leave your house. So I've just never really gotten involved. Sure. Uh, gotcha. Just because you know why? Why worry about getting confused or getting upset or worrying about what you know fashion characters are wearing if you just don't don't get involved? And I I, I see what it's done to other people's lives. So I just you know. <laughs> It's the same way with you and X-Men. I see what it's done to you. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> I, I've already had that happen with other books for me, so I, I don't need one more thing to get upset over. <laughs> I gotcha. I mean, yeah, Wicked and Divine definitely gets people upset, I can say that for yeah, sure. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those books. For our episode this week, we have a topic that is perfectly worded, so I'm going to read it verbatim. Surprises, comics that were better than you had expected, or comics you were excited about that left you cold. And I think between Paul, Nick, and myself, we were able to come up with a few ideas or a few few examples of both sides of this topic idea. So I will just get things started with a book that is very maturely named also known as Sex by Joe Casey and Peter Kowalski. Now, (laughs) I picked this book up originally because I thought it was by Joe Kelly, who wrote the fantastic I Am Giants. (laughs) And, you know, in my defense, uh, Joe Casey has written a bunch of really amazing books. He did a book with uh, Tom Scioli called... Was it Godland? Godland, yes, thank you. I was going to say God Zero, but no, Godland, that's the book. (laughs) And... Nonetheless, I picked this book up and I didn't know what I expected out of it because, again, I thought it was Joe Kelly and I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting take on sex and feelings and things like that. And since it wasn't Joe Kelly, I got a totally different 80s super-powered story about a superhero that turns in the cape to go manage his business and fix his life. And there is a handful, there are a handful of different supporting characters in this series, such as this former superhero's sidekick, a handful of villains that have turned into civilians, and all the complicated things that occur in someone's life who has decided to go from superhero to corporate leader, and the dealings of such, and their past coming back to haunt them, and things of that nature, as well as, you may have guessed it, (laughs) 
sex. There's a lot of sex in this book, and it's very explicit, and Peter Kowalski's art definitely nails that, not in a pornographic way, but in a very real way that kind of says that sex is a large part of everyone's life, and here's how it plays into the various weaving storylines within this series. And it totally blew my mind, but I did not expect it to be as involved and well-crafted as Joe Casey has made it from the beginning. So, you know, after six issues, I was totally hooked, and I think this book is on issue 30 or so, and it's it's been a nonstop, super fun, well-crafted read. I absolutely love it. I, I don't know if you guys have looked at this book at all, but I've I've dug it since probably issue three or four. Oh, I've I've definitely looked at it. I uh, right, way way back before. Oh man, <laughs> let me finish that statement, please. Please, uh, maybe retract it. Um, no, I uh, back before I had a pull. I think I read maybe about the first five or six issues, um, but then there was a point where I was trying to have to decide whether or not I wanted to go up to the counter and buy a book where a, a, a man was riding a, a dirt bike up the side of a, a naked woman's body. And at that point, I decided that my dignity, for whatever little it was worth at that point, um, I was willing to hold on to that small shred and, you know, sacrifice it over some other book rather than, you know, B- BMX and boobies, which, by the way, if anyone hasn't <laughs> written a book called BMX and boobies... I've just decided that's going to be the title of my book, so don't take it. Um, oh, geez. Coming to a Sunday newspaper strip near you. Um, and they <laughs> say, and they say newsprint is dead. And they say newsprint is dead. It is alive and well, and, and yes. soon to be publishing my, my, my strip. Right next to Garfield. He hates Mondays, and we hate a low tank of gas and... and and not having <laughs> boobs in a comic Whoa. strip. Where are you going with that? Oh my God. Paul, have you read this book at all? <laughs> I'm just going to cut you off right there, Nick. I'm sorry. You can't stop this newspaper strip. I have not read sex, so um, I, I, I can't speak to its quality or, or lack okay. thereof. But. Okay. But, yeah. well, the covers are very explicit. It's it's a very fun book, but really, I did not expect it to be as great as yeah, it was. Yeah, there's a, a book that springs to mind for me somewhat similarly. It's a book that sounds like a simple premise, but is much more complex than maybe you'd assume. Right up front was The Omega Men by Tom King with art by Barnaby Bagenda, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, this is one of those DCU books that came out around that time a okay. couple years ago. Uh, the Omega Men are a very obscure group of DC characters that I think John Byrne did stuff with in the 80s and early 90s. And a very odd choice for a title for DC to rebrand itself with the DCU. And, you know, as a result, it was a kind of a commercial flop, but a critical success. It is a fantastic book. Um, I think we've we've all kind of come to terms with the fact that we're big Tom King fanboys on, on this uh, podcast. And um, this is a good example of exactly why. It's a book that, it's a sci-fi book. It's a sci-fi story. It involves the Green Lanterns and the, the Omega Man, the sort of rebel band of, um, you know, freedom fighters viewed from their perspective, terrorists viewed from the government that they're fighting. But that's what the book is about. It's this complex story about political intrigue and political power. And also religious faith. The Omega Men are kind of like, almost like a religious cult. 
And the book explores what religion is and how it affects politics and how it can make people do things and change people's lives and explores all these really deep, complex issues in a very exciting sort of space opera sort of way. And it's not at all what I was expecting because of that. It's much more complex and deep, deeper than I was anticipating. And that's almost you know, doubled down on by the artwork, which is a weird homage to, the, to Watchmen. The whole book is done in that sort of nine-panel mm-hmm. grid that Watchmen is, and there's a lot of repetition in the artwork. There's a lot of, you know, that sort of calling back to beginning or, like, the circularity that you see in Watchmen happening. And every issue ends with a quote by the American philosopher William James, which I never expected to see William James be quoted in a comic book, let alone every issue of a 12-issue series. I was really, really blown away by just how good this book was, and I was already anticipating to like it when I started it. So that's a great example of a book that exceeded my expectations man say i need to read this book yeah. i i don't know what i'm doing i'm not I, <laughs> I have a copy i just haven't read it i don't understand i know that nick has been championing this book since i think issue two yeah, yeah. so i have really no excuse at this point <laughs> yeah uh i can add, add that to my repertoire man i i got in on the ground floor on that one too mm-hmm. way ahead of the uh, curve there not initially i didn't pull it i uh but um, yeah, it was sort of a, I think a frenetic dash or frantic dash for issues, probably one through three. And then after that, I was like, um, if anything else, like, I don't care if the writing gets bad. I don't care if uh, the art um, somehow just gets awful. Mm-hmm. The, the covers alone by Trevor Hutchinson, uh, just unbelievable. They look sort of like those art deco and a little bit sort of stylized national park posters of the thirties and forties or Mm -hmm. the ones you'd see for like, you know, trains, you know, train vacations or things like that, or, you know, go see the Arctic, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't (laughs) know if you can do that with a train, but that's just an example. So don't look at that up. Don't get critical. Um, yeah, it's a great book. You should read it. Uh, it's 12 issues and it's weighty and it's, um, it's a real, uh, think piece and so I can understand why a lot of people sit there and say well I really should read it and then they're like how long is it well it's pretty long uh, well how smart is it yeah it's 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 a sort of a meditative book <laughs> Um, is there like good and evil or is it just 18,000 shades of gray? Yeah, there's a lot mm-hmm. of gray mm-hmm. going on. <laughs> well, okay. We don't need you to sell it anymore. I think yeah, like we right, know not that sell it. We don't need you yeah. to not sell it, Nick. We need you to actually sell it. I mean, you've now convincingly given both sides. Yeah. You know. Well, what about you, Nick? What have, what have you had something that surprised you? Yeah, sure. I, definitely one of the things that really, really surprised me uh, would have to be um, the Chilling Tales of Sabrina, um, which, of course, some people might recall, was, I believe, our first book club book, I yes. think. Well, the first one that we did an episode about, yeah. Right, right. And and for me, that was definitely a huge surprise because, honestly, I did not think that it was going to be, I don't know, I guess when I thought of Sabrina, I first thought of like the TV show of the 90s, and I was like, okay, so they just own the rights to a franchise, and they're just, you know, they're looking through their bin as to what they have and, and working with it, and I guess I get that. Um, and then I was like, why does Archie Comics think lightning is going to strike twice <laughs> within the same very exclusive genre of, hey, let's take a old strip that's very much, like, not going to turn into any sort of a genre piece. Let's turn it into a genre piece. Let's turn it into borderline the exact same genre piece we did with um 
what was that called? Archie. Afterlife with Archie. Afterlife with Archie. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, from that, it was just sort of the fact that someone was telling me I needed to read it, which I don't really respond to that uh, request <laughs> very well. Um, yes, I know. And, this is why you haven't read Moon Knight to this day. <laughs> <laughs> or other things. Um, and uh, I think I just sort of doubted how far this book was really going to be willing to push the envelope. And I was, you know, I was wrong on all of those things. It was, uh, it was dark as hell. Um, but it wasn't gimmicky. It, it, it didn't just push all the right classic buttons to be, you know, edgy or, or, or gross. It was, uh, just, I mean, chilling, chilling is the right adjective to be using. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when trade number two comes out, which I'm expecting probably five years from now at the rate (laughs) this book is rolling out, um, I'll buy it. And if I don't, it'll be so long from now that no one will remember. So, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Right. Well, I know, yeah, that was definitely one of those books. And I mean, along those lines, for me, uh, Afterlife with Archie was absolutely the same way. I didn't know what to expect. And I know that a lot of people were praising it. And I I think I just nonchalantly just picked up number one to just see what the hype was all about. And then immediately ran to my comic shop and got the rest of the issues. (laughs) I think issue four or five was out at that point. I I could not stop. And and to this day, like when that book comes out, you know, (laughs) once a year at this point, uh, it's usually the first book that I try <laughs> yeah. to read. I think the Archie line across the board has surprised a lot of people. You know, the, the sort of rebranded or relaunched Archie stuff. So, and it's definitely playing with playing. Um, it's it, you're expecting it to be the, the you know the squeaky clean image you have of Archie and Archie and the gang, and it's uh, subverting all of that, and it's great. Yeah, it's it's uh, they're they're definitely having a lot of fun with all their books, not just the the darker books, but yeah. even the the modern books. I think they're. They're keeping the the squeaky clean on like Jughead and mm-hmm. and Betty and Veronica and Archie, but at the same time, I think they're adding some nuance to it to like to add a modern day good good old kids kind of feel to the book, yeah. which has yeah. been pretty nice. But al- along those lines, I think like even I don't know another book that that kind of surprised me was I think surprise rather than better than expected mm-hmm. is probably the better way to say that. But L- the Luther Strode books, like volumes one, two, and three, I think. When I heard about Luther Strode, I think I'd only I'd seen the first trade a million times on a shelf, and yeah. I want to say that it was Xander in particular who told me that I should read the book, and I picked up, or maybe I don't remember who it was, maybe it was George. Anyways, not really important. Someone had been telling me I should read this book for a long time, and similar to Nick, I don't really take too well to that, but I <laughs> yeah. gave it a try. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and it wasn't, what really surprised me about this book is not that it was necessarily overly complex so that the mystery was that intriguing but Tradmore's art was so compelling that I really couldn't put put down the first volume it's it's a hundred percent blood and muscles and sinew and everything that you want out of like a super over-the-top action comic book while you know trying to play with these ideas of what is power and what you know these weird philosophical things but (laughs) overall I mean like this book is it's it's smart it's it's very well crafted i think it's it's well put together and uh, justin jordan who wrote the book he you know i think he does a good job telling the story about this this ancient you know power that luther strode gets but i mean really tradmore's art is what what takes the cake it's it's full of just wavy lines and strips of everything and blood and guts and like too many muscles on a human being like it's it's it reminds me of like what made dragon ball so cool as you know mm-hmm. a, a 10 year old kid you know seeing something like these monstrous dudes just beating the living shit out of each other 
you really can't replace that. And I know that's that's a whole dumb masculine thing, but sometimes <laughs> it's just fun. You know, like it's okay to like embrace that super mm-hmm. cheesecake fun that is there. You know, provided you you know you understand what's going on. But like this book from the especially the first volume was just super cool, and it's just like full of testosterone and punching and swear words, and it's like ooh, it's it's fun, I, and that's what kind of surprised me because I thought it was just going to be poor writing on top of a cheesecakey story but it, actually the writing was, was is pretty solid and the art is really what carries this book and so i you know i continue to read volumes two and three uh the end of this book was maybe a little bit a, a little bit of a letdown in a, in a couple of ways but ultimately i think this the whole series volumes one two and three are really really solid and i again I'm, i feel like i'm always surprised and when i recommend it to people they're kind of like but it's just blood and <laughs> cheesecake and i'm like no 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 just wait <laughs> Where are you going? I still have to talk about X Men. <laughs> yeah, I haven't brought up X Men yet. Well, that's, that's interesting that you that you mentioned that um, cheesecake baby being something that's um, you know put up so you put up a wall to it. You don't know what to expect from it because that's the experience I had with uh, the DC Bombshells book. I picked up the first volume of that, and uh, that really is a book that I thought was just going to be all. It's going to oh, be pictures sure. of you know Wonder Woman and Big Barda and you know Harley Quinn, all the DC female characters done in like pinup World War II style sort of cheesecakey. Because that's what the book is based on. Those weird statues that DC Direct sells that are like you know the the pinup version of all these characters. And I had no idea that there was a market for those statues, and I had no idea there's a market for that book. Yeah. But the book is quite good. Marguerite Bennett <laughs> is a fantastic writer, and she's using that setting of the 40s and World War II to have these strong female characters. She's exploring these sort of progressive feminist ideas and undertones throughout the story. And there's even elements of, you know, propaganda and political intrigue in that book, too, where it's the the analogs to i think power girl and uh supergirl are soviet soldiers in the book and they find out they're being used by the government for propaganda and they rebel against that they say that's not you know it's not the proper use of their powers so they kind of rebel against their own government and it's a very complex book in that way mm-hmm. which i certainly was not expecting based on any of the covers that i read or saw for it so it's one of those books that I'm glad I took a whim and picked it up cheap on Comixology, and now I just have to wait for the other volumes to be cheap so I can go pick them yeah. up as well. But it's a fantastic book that the that like you said, sort of the original the artwork is maybe you think it's going to be one thing, just sort of a simple cheesecakey fun story, but underneath is a lot more complex and nuanced than you probably expected. Yeah, that's always the most surprising part of that whole book, and so many people recommend it for that reason. I'm like, but. But look at the covers. Are you sure? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it really just goes to show that everyone who complains about, yeah, why do you want to read a comic that's just based on a TV show, or why do you want to read a comic that's just based on like a movie or something? Well, look, here's a comic based on figurines and <laughs> it's statues. Good. Okay. It's good. <laughs> so we can stop with this now. Um, <laughs> It's not to say that there won't be bad comics that are derived from sources that seem like they don't have enough source material. Yes, that happens too. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, are you talking about Scooby Doo Apocalypse? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know, man. That Hanna Barbera shit is is doing great. I yeah. mean, what can I say? Uh, um, Future Quest was up for a crap ton of awards. Yeah. And yeah. Future Quest was up for a crap ton of awards. Uh, for 2016, so um, 
I mean, go 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 read that stuff. Honestly, <laughs> the, uh, the, I can't I can't recommend it enough. There's a saying I, I keep I'm blanking on it. Something about a book in in the cover, and you can't you can't tell the cover by the I can't I'm losing I can't forget the phrase. What is it? I'm, I'm blanking. I don't know, Paul. <laughs> I, I don't know, know what where this phrase is. I don't know where you started with this. It's we'll just, have to look that up. <laughs> Jesus, doesn't. It, yeah, we'll 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 definitely credit someone for that whatever weird <laughs> phrase that may be. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, Oscar yeah. Wilde probably said it. I mean, I sure. think all all attribution inevitably goes to Oscar Wilde these days. So, uh, um. sure. <laughs> but but so on the opposite side of the spectrum because let's just try to cover this and we'll bounce back and forth or whatever um as far as books that kind of quote unquote <laughs> left you cold do you, I, i'll i'll leave it to you two or I'll leave it to nick let's start with you do you have oh, any course. books that kind of froze you on the inside i, I don't know how many ice sort of... puns can i make when you <laughs> are about to talk about batman i don't know <laughs> oh yeah Sure, Batman Eternal. I I would classify that as a disappointment. However, I would throw this in, and I'm not turn trying to turn this into like an '80s like PSA, but I think there were valuable lessons to be learned from this disappointment. So which this which Batman out. Eternal was this? This is just Batman Eternal, the series. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. That's right. Well, sorry. There was Batman Eternal, and then there was Batman and Robin Eternal. This is just Batman Eternal. Okay. Um, which ran for a full year. I think Batman and Robin Eternal ran for half a year. Um, anyway, so I was really, really into Batman at this point and sort of like, I love all Batman. Tell me what Batman books are coming out and I'll read it except for detective because I know what shit is going down there and I'm not going to get roped into it. And Batman Eternal sort of came out and I was like, oh, Scott Snyder's writing it. And later I sort of figured out that he was kind of really in more of a co-plotting position. And it was like, hey kids, do you want a Batman book every week for a full year? And everyone's like, well, on paper, no pun intended, uh, on paper that sounds <laughs> like a like a fantastic idea. Why wouldn't I want Batman every single week? And my wallet was like, well, Nick, I think you really need to think about it. And it's like, shut up, you. And uh, so you end up with this comic that's literally coming out every week. And I learned a lot of lessons about what it takes to make a book sustainable um, and the sort of compromises that have to happen in order to have a book every week. Um, and that means that you're getting artist changes left and right. Um, you've got writers writing one arc and then you get a different writer writing a different arc and the different writers are focusing on different characters, and so if you really don't like one writer or you really don't like certain characters, you're stuck with them for three to four issues back to back. You've got fill-in artists left and right, some of which were a little bit lacking. Um, and so, I mean, when I look at Batman Eternal now as a, as an idea, as as a concept, like it's not hard to punch a lot of holes in it once you've been reading comics to, uh, long enough that you sort of learn about you know, certain artists can't keep up on a monthly pace or certain books need more time than a monthly process, certain books need to take a break, etc., uh, etc., et you kind of get a little bit of an inner um, knowledge of the inner workings and you look at Batman Eternal and you say, this will not really work at all. And But back then I, you know, I was just excited. Uh, so, you were just yeah. a young boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just a young boy. Nobody loves me. Uh, sparing his life for this untrusted tea. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> so that was... I know. Was why, are you, why are you dropping Queen into this episode? Nick? I'm so <laughs> mad. Oh, I'm my sorry. gosh. But yeah, Batman Eternal, that happened. Paul, did you read some of that? Any of that? None of that? I, I read all of it, and uh, yeah, it was a little disappointing. Um, I think... 
the nature of a weekly book lends itself to that just because it's so much content and not all of it's going to land. There are a handful of issues that I think are worthwhile in it, but not enough to justify all buying all 52 of them. You know, I just think that's just the nature of that, that experiment, as you put it, that kind of went bad. Gotcha. Yeah. You'd think that DC would have learned their lesson with, you know, the actual (laughs) series 52. Yeah. That they maybe shouldn't put out one issue every single week because of the insanity that it it ensues because of that. But hey, you know, figured why not? I mean, I think it was for the 75th anniversary of Batman. And I think maybe they would have come up with some other way to really celebrate, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, you have to celebrate with quantity well, over quality. That's the only way you can celebrate. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, you know, unrelated to Batman, I think uh, books that have left me cold, I think I would say there was, there was an image book called Egos that came out from Stuart Moore and Gus Storms on writing and art, respectively. This book had a really cool premise. I remember it was in the previews book. I started buying it. I I don't remember. I think it was before I moved to New York. And the premise was that there was this super team that disbanded because of personal issues. And two teammates were married. And they got divorced. And there was some weirdness. And this the the guy uh, who led the team, who was, like I said, divorced, he decided he wanted to start a new team using the same name, a.k.a. Egos, E-G-O-S. And I can't remember what it stood for. Like, really, there was a lot of problems with this book from the get-go, but I told myself I'd push through the first arc, and then it kind of ended at issue four, and there were some twists and turns around along the book, and where basically the, the main character, he had cloned himself, and he had basically gave his clones different powers so that, and different images so that they wouldn't look like him and so we could have this super team and then like shit happened and they fought this big bad and I was like oh that's the end of the series and then one day I got a notification oh there's a new issue of egos in your digital pull box and I was like what the hell comicsology what are you talking about I thought this book ended and it kept going and the story started to make no sense it started to take on I mean not that it didn't make any sense. It just felt so far from what the original premise was. It started to take on, hey, we're going to do an ongoing book, and here's a bunch of wacky things that are going to happen across the universe, and we're going to introduce a bunch of really crazy characters and story plots and, and subplots and all these things, and I couldn't follow it. I remember I dropped it. I thought it was going to be really cool, and by the time I dropped it, I think at issue 7 or issue 8, I was just done. I think I dropped it at issue 6, but I bought the remaining issues that came out just because I have a fucking complex or something. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I... I just, I was so bummed because I really wanted it to be cool and it just dragged and there were so many weird delays with the book. I remember there was some, there were like emails or something sent out. I somehow got like, infor- or no, the back of one of the letters of one of the books was like, hey guys, don't worry, we're, we're on track, we're book's going to come out next month for sure. And then there was like a four <laughs> month delay. So like... It was I was a, it was a super bummer and maybe if I go back and reread it it'll it'll be a little bit better but I I just remember being so worn down and like regretting having to like or like like really being anxious about having to read each issue because I just knew it wasn't gonna be great and that's that's probably <laughs> the worst thing about a series that you're you're on board with is is dreading reading the next yeah. issue because like <laughs> and even though you paid for it you're like oh shit now I gotta read this which is kind of how I feel about the Dark Knight like Returns oh, three oh whatever God. the master race 
the the Dark Knight number three, whatever. At this that's point, called. yeah, it's, I, I just hate that book. At this point, I hate reading it. <laughs> it's not fun. It's, you're invested in it though, in a weird way. So it's like I've got all the issues. I'm never going to read them again. But here they are. So yeah, yeah. Ugh, that's that's the worst feeling. I don't know if either if any of your your disappointment picks are like that, but that's like the uh, biggest somewhat. one. I just remember going, "Ugh, this is gross." <laughs> I had a somewhat similar experience with the the Ringside book from Image by Joe Keating and Nick Barber. Uh, it's a book about wrestling, but it has no wrestling at all in it, and that was a big disappointment for me. I was very excited to have a book that would explore the complexity, the backstage elements of pro wrestling. I'm always fascinated by that, especially the fact that Joe Keating said he was inspired by hearing stories uh, from Mick Foley, who you remember as Mankind or Cactus Jack. Um, and the book itself is just so flat. It's just like a normal like crime comic. They just happen to talk about wrestling occasionally in it. And it's just such a letdown from what I think could be a very, very interesting topic. The idea of pro wrestling as an art form that is depends on creating a fiction. And what is the reality that goes into creating that fiction is a very fascinating idea. There's just none of that in this book. So that's what was a disappointment to me is like this concept I thought was very exciting that just totally like laid flat on the page for me. Did you end up dropping that book? I did recently, but again, it's it's like six or seven issues in. I probably have another one on the way since I'm really bad at letting my shop know I'm done with books. So at least the one or two issues probably left to buy and uh, maybe read at some point. Who knows? It, the Maybe issue nine or ten is just going to blow my mind and I'll love the series again, but I kind of doubted it at this point. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm still pulling that book, but I have a little bit higher. I don't know. I have high hopes for some reason. Like, I yeah. liked part of the direction they started to take with the series, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed still. You know, on the flip side, I've been very surprised by the books that WWE is doing right now with Boom. Those are very, very fun books that actually managed to capture the uh, excitement of pro wrestling in a comic book, which is perfect for me. I did not expect those books to be as good as they are. Well, I wonder, you know, it, it's kind of strange. Like, I think the whole, like, a large chunk of this premise is built around, you know, something that I know we've talked about a bunch on this show where where a book sounds really cool, we get into it, and then it either is really awesome or it's a disappointment, which is, you know, just how comic books go. But at the same time, it's what I think is really interesting is focusing on that, that section of books that end up being better than expected mm-hmm. where you're looking at a series and you kind of go, I don't know, this kind of sounds okay, and you give it a try, and then all of a sudden it blows your mind. Like, how how do you pitch something like Omega Men mm-hmm. to somebody and get them to be super-duper on board, whereas I think a lot of people were like, all right, well, I kind of like Tom King, and maybe this book sounds interesting. I don't know how it ties into the rest of the DC universe, but I'll give it a try. And then it ends up just blowing their minds because it becomes this epic of a story. And I'm only speaking from description from you two about that book, but at the same time, <laughs> You know, the way that you've, you're pitching it now, having read it, makes it seem way more interesting yeah. than I think the, the premise is or the synopsis is that you see on issue one, mm-hmm. maybe, or in maybe the previews book. Well, it, Mike, it, it, yeah. I was going to say, if I knew how to pitch a book in a way that would make people buy it, I would be working for DC right now, right? That would be in their marketing <laughs> right. department, yeah. right? Oh. So <laughs> I think that's, that's the trick with comics is that you have a very limited uh, number of readers. You have, they have a limited budget, and there's just only so much room on the rack or so much market space for comics that if, you, if your book doesn't land right away and it doesn't grab the right readers, it doesn't matter how great the concept is. You really have to grab people right away with that first issue. Right. 
I mean, I I know that we were talking uh, in the pre-show, Nick, a little bit about you were saying there's like a niche market for this. I I, I told I pretty much told you to stop because I wanted to hear what you had to say, but I wanted it to be recorded. So I don't know if you still had thoughts on that that you wanted to share with us, or if we already covered it or not. Like in terms of um, what what specifically? Like this this better than expected kind kind of market. Um, I don't remember. I, I think that we were we were just talking about how it's it's kind of a, a strange thing where we where we have these books that get marketed kind of weird, but then they all of a sudden become the, you know these these instant hits or these cult classic kind of books. Yeah, it's true, and uh, I mean especially with like Omega Men, for example. Um, even even DC didn't know how to properly market that book, and uh, honestly, I, I think that sometimes what happens is that even the publisher really doesn't know what to do with it, and DC was getting ready to scrap that as just another failed title of DCU, and then finally, um, readers were like, wait, like, what do you think you're doing, and, and, and saved it, and at least gave it a full year to, to do its thing, um, but I mean, these definitely are super super niche titles and they're not they're not able to really survive on what you know what makes franchise books work which is the fact that there are people out there that will buy batman whether it's good or bad regardless of who is batman regardless of who's writing it who's drawing it how long the arcs are um etc etc and so those books will get bought regardless and so with these books that are um, pleasant surprises, uh, a lot of the time, uh, you don't have that unconditional reader on the book who's going to read it regardless and then be able to tell people, oh, well, you know, this is really, really good. I mean, I think Jeff Lemire's run, part of the reason Lemire's run got so much attention was obviously because it was a book where there were unconditional readers who were reading it regardless and they were able to, to get the word out. Um, Jeff Lemire's run on like which book? Green Arrow. Green Arrow. Oh, on Green Arrow. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, you know, with something like Omega Men, um, you know, Tom King is definitely was becoming a household name at that point. Um, <laughs> yes, but household in, terms in of like, four houses across America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but in terms of like um, Omega, Omega Men itself having, you know, brand strength. Right. Uh, I mean, that's Omega Men is about as a niche as you can get when you want to talk about DC properties. Mm-hmm. Sure. So... I mean, that's why a lot of these books are, are surprises is because they don't have that big franchise establishment behind them. And a lot of times they don't even have their own publisher behind them because mm-hmm. they don't even know what to do with it. And they're worried about investing too much money in publicizing a book that's, I mean, we talk about, and it's not just DC, but I can speak from enough experience to say that DC, gosh, this sounds so tinfoil hat. Yes, put um, it on. Please put DC the tinfoil has hat on. Set, DC has set books up to fail. End of story period yeah and that's really interesting you say that putting it you think wait wait do you think that like that's see that's really interesting to me because i think like you you run into that a little bit at marvel but i think you probably run into it more at dc or at least it seems to be more apparent at dc but it's kind of a question of how does that get past the editing like pitch stage Mm -hmm. how do you pitch a book and then have dc go no well we let you publish it but we're just going to you know, is it is it them trying to prove like your idea was stupid and it's meant to fail? Like that's fucking rough. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, one can't say that DC says, "I expect this." You know, I I want this book to die. And, and DC does not want that to happen. DC wants to make money. Okay, they're a company. Right. End of end of story. But there certainly are books that I think 
and gosh, this 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 gets a little controversial here, and and Marvel is just as guilty too. Although I think Marvel has executed this better, but I, I think with certain books, DC knows that they're trying to cater to a certain audience, or they're trying to check certain squares, you know, off, you know, get their bingo where it says, you know, see, we're a we're a diverse company, and we'll have solo books featuring you know people of color and things like that. And I mean, it really what DCU was, mm-hmm. where they were trying to really inject some diversity and I'll come out and say it. Some of those books were really really good. They were, but they weren't getting the right advertising. They weren't getting pitched the right way. Um they just weren't getting attention and and sure some of that is just because, you know, a lot of DC readers, they already, you know, a lot of them and we've talked about this before too. A lot of them aren't the ones that are going, I think in 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 getting a previews catalog and looking at what's coming out and picking out new books. No, I mean they have Batman and Batman will exist forever and and, and action comics will exist forever and and green arrow will exist forever and and they're probably already reading enough they don't want to add anything new to their poll so i mean i realize that's about nine different topics i have (laughs) issues with when it comes to dc um but i guess i just decided let's just address all of them um why not yeah that's i mean that's kind of an i mean that's like you said tinfoil hat conspiracy level ridiculousness but at the same time it, I don't know if it's not true in mm-hmm. in the way that I don't think that there's any kind of ill will put upon books like that. Right. But at the same right. time, there isn't any action to push a book like that forward. On like in the same vein that a Batman book gets pushed, you know, or an or an Avengers book gets pushed. Like you're not going to see that for these these like you said these diverse books that people champion for and they scream and they and they yell because they want them and because it's good. It is it's diverse. It's it's helping you know people recognize characters that are more aligned with who they are. But at the same time, you're not getting the same amount of advertising and tie-in and blah 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 pushes that you would get for these these uh, you know pillars of of the comic book industry which is kind of sad mm-hmm. right and i mean I, I realize that all of this devolves into the whole stupid discussion of um i guess really are there truly new comic book readers which is a stupid question oh yes, boy there are there oh, are new boy. readers um but of course i think with a lot of these corporations the question is are there enough readers to justify doing this or justify doing that and Again, all of this just comes full circle because we can talk about books that surprise us, but they genuinely tend to surprise us because they're totally off our radar. Why are they off our radar generally? You know, how well are they being publicized? Mm -hmm. How well, you know, are they being talked about? How much are they getting pushed? Um, Who are they getting to write the book? Who are they getting to draw the book? Um, So, again, a lot of it just really boils down to how our publishers... Uh, repping and representing and pushing for their, you know, their content. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe surprises uh, on the on the our side as readers is one thing, but surprise on the side of publishers is probably another thing. I there's probably a lot of dart throwing going on in the editorial boards, boardrooms of DC and Marvel. Like they don't know what's going to land where, and if something hits, they double down on it. I think that's at this point. Don't we have three Black Panther books going on right now? Because of the six, I think it's coming up. There's coming up on three, and that's. Yeah. I don't think anyone ever wow. expected that. Obviously, the Black Panther book by um, uh, T.C. Yeah, Tennessee Coates is 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 writing. I think that obviously his name helps sell that book, and I think it was a surprise to Marvel just how successful that was. So the, the fact they're doubling down is publishing 
three Black Panther books. Black Panther books is great for Black Panther fans, but you have to balance that with the fact: Are you going to saturate that market with too much content? Just based on like, uh, it's like they hit the jackpot with one book. It doesn't mean it's going to happen again with three. Right. Right. And that's right. and so publishers double down on their successes, and then genuine generally that doesn't, uh, you know, not the best idea. Yeah. Yeah, this is why we have three X-Men books and they all (laughs) suck. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And I mean, maybe, maybe we can't fault them. I guess you, you, you figure out where the gold is and you just keep mining until it's gone. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, That's, that's a pretty apt (laughs) metaphor there. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, you know, why we're talking about books that surprise us. There's those books, like, I think we've kind of hinted at, that slipped through the cracks. Like, something that no one expected to really hit. And that's where magic can happen. I mean, who knew that the greatest comic book ever published was going to be Transformers versus G.I. Joe's? Like, no one expected that. <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. Those two toy franchises would be, the like, comic book gold. Let's reset so, the counter. You know, you never know what's going to yes, happen. Yes, exactly. You can all reset the counter on that Transformers versus G.I. Joe countdown. great job (laughs) you know and it's it's just ever more shocking because these are the few surprises that editorial and publishers even you know let see the light you know see the light of day in any capacity Mm -hmm. you know we're not even talking about the you know dozens of them that never even make it out of the pitch room right so yeah uh I mean, I don't want to defend them a whole lot on this, but maybe we ought to be grateful we're seeing anything even slightly risk taking. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess this just turned into another big big two screed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Surprise. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I did I did want to bring up that that there is a lot to be said about indie comics, and I mean, and I say indie comics, I mean below the big ten. Of publishers, um, I yeah. think there th- there is a lot of work, and like I think it, you'll find that you'll be pleasantly surprised more often than not. I know that I've gone on this soapbox, and I think Paul has too, where you where you you try something that is so off the board, something that just catches your eye because it, the coloring looks nice, and you take a look and you read it, and you go, "Wow, like this is so unbelievable! I can't believe that it's not being published by a bigger publisher or something." But like those books are out there, and you're more likely to be surprised and happy with what you purchase than not. Uh, I'll, I mean, I, this is after I made a big whole shit pile about that book that I read this week, Four Eyes. <laughs> but that being said, I think this is one of the few disappointments I've had in a very long while when pi- when just picking up a random Comixology submit book. Oh, so I don't think that's true. I think I think if we dig up the files, I think we'll find maybe maybe it's a fifty fifty with sure, you, Mike. <laughs> sure, if it's fifty fifty, whatever. That's still, that's still good. Still, that's still good, good. I think. Yeah, that's still good. So try new stuff. Don't read big two all the time. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you know you're gonna you're gonna have your your loves and your nostalgia, but it's okay to try something new. This this is the end all. This is our basically the definition and motto of our podcast. Try something new. You're gonna yes. be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> exactly. Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Nick White and Paul Jaisley. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. 
Rate us online, write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give us lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're looking to just say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode on our subreddit at ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. Paul, did I tell you the weird um, rumors that have gone around about um, the whole Batman rooftops arc and how it actually maybe was supposed to be very different? I I didn't hear that from you. No, no. Okay. So is it you think it was supposed to be a single issue that got split up into two? Well, I don't know if you remember, but like the solicits were very weird and very yeah. confusing for a while, and they're like. Um, it's gonna be one issue of of uh, Catwoman, and then one of Swamp Thing, and then they're like, surprise! Uh, it's two of Catwoman, and it was a very late decision. And there, some people were like, "Oh, that's great," and then other people were like, "Explain to me what happened." And the rumor is rumor, uh, maybe maybe bleeding cool. I don't remember, or I think people were just surmising that um, that I mean, you've read the issue, so I can tell you that yeah. Tom King might have actually really wanted to put the what 237 deaths on um selena kyle but that dc editorial was like man we can't have that happen even though we'll eventually undo it we're just not comfortable with that so it got turned into a two issue arc where they you know managed to put it on someone else and that sort of backed everything up apparently that's Hmm. that's the word that's going around Um, that's interesting i actually really liked that story a lot I don't know. I th- I think what's interesting is that with Batman and Superman right now, the strength of those books is that they're able to do very short story arcs. So, like, the fact that it was just a two-part little story, I was like, oh, that makes sense, because mm-hmm. all the other stories have been, you know, just real oh quick. Oh, my God. Maybe three or four issues at the most. That's what the best thing about the Superman series right now is that it is just, you know, two issues, you're done, three issues, you're done. Yeah. So Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, Mike said stop. Sorry, oh. not you guys. Sorry, I just turned my mic back. <laughs> Kelly heard me talking about X-23, and she's like, what are you guys talking about? And I said, Gambit and X-23. And she's like, oh, there totally could be a thing. I'm so mad right now. <laughs> Sorry. Is, is, is I know Kelly you guys were probably having a real conversation. Having read this book, or does she just know how to troll you? And she No, Kelly, that that... Kelly really enjoys X-23 yeah. as a character, so she's read okay. pretty much everything that I own featuring the character. She's not trolling me. She's coming from a position of of having actually read the stories, but she disagrees yeah. with my assessment of the previous story by Marjorie Liu. Okay. Uh, and I'm so mad about everything. I am the ultimate say. You're not. I am the ultimate say in X-Men. I don't care. You're a damaged teenage girl. <laughs> I am ne- this is true. Know. I've never been a damaged teenage girl. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> 
That's true. <laughs> That's true. I can't falter there. 